0: Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working.
1: I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you.
0: Take the next 40 odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and and your personal life. Hey,
2: everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have your company. Thanks for hitting the download button. We uh, we appreciate it on our little program. What's this show about? Well, if you're new, we just find interesting people from any walk of life, people who are getting it done. They may specialize in some area of life, and they've got their mojo working, and we figure they've got something that can help us get our mojo working or something we could learn, take away from the show, and help maybe a friend or a work colleague who's just not feeling it right now. They haven't got the vibe. They haven't got their lane going. Their mojo is down and we can help them. So we just find interesting people. We chat to them, extract what they know, and hopefully that will get all of our mojo working. In the studio, we are still recovering from pretty full-on October, sitting behind the wheel of the big red bus. Robbo,
3: uh, how are you recovering, mate? I'm recovering really well. Can I just say, how good was Joe Navarro last week? I mean, it's <laughs> just amazing interview. You liked him, didn't you? I loved Joe. I thought that was great. That was such a ripper. Do you know, it's funny that since we
2: interviewed Joe, whenever I watch the international news reports and I see things happening around the world, mm and the FBI are heavily
3: involved with a lot of world events right now and I must say, I sit there looking for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he's retired, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I, you can't imagine the stuff that guys like him have been through, can you? you know, some of the stories that he must be able to tell would be amazing. Have you found yourself watching people now look at their body language? <laughs> yes, I did. Our usual um, Saturday afternoon drinks with the boys on the weekend. We, we were having a bit of a chuckle because I was talking about some of the television. And we were sort of we were watching each other for the rest of the afternoon, trying to pick up on stuff and laughing at each other. It was very funny. Hands in pockets, not, <laughs> yeah, not, right. not even take your yeah. hand out of the pocket to lift yeah. a beer. Don't look away from your beer glass, or you might give something away. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, that's funny. But if you haven't listened
2: to that show, folks, go back and have a listen. Joe Navarro, 20-something years in the FBI and a world leader in body language and human behaviour. He was uh, he was gold. So, anyway, we finished October. We're now heading into the end of this season, end of season five, and I've got to say we're going to take a very interesting off-ramp with our guest this week. The Mojo Radio Show.
0: <laughs> we don't take ourselves too seriously.
2: Oh, thank God. Our guest this week is author and meditation teacher Giovanni Dietzman. And it's funny, we we've talked about meditation before in this show. And you've you've
3: wanted to give this thing a crack, haven't you, mate? I have. I've had a couple of failed attempts, but um, after doing this interview, I think I might have another crack. The reason I wanted him on here was
2: literally for you because Giovanni wrote a book called Practical Meditation and I think it is by... And I must say, when it arrived from the publisher, I went, oh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give it a crack. I've got to say it is the most prescriptive book if 10-minute toughness by Dr. Jason Selk, who was a guest last October, is the most prescriptive book for bringing yourself to the moment to perform. This is the most prescriptive book for understanding all the different ways you can meditate, how simple it is, and how basically Giovanni takes away all the excuses not to do it. And the question he asks himself and the question he asks us is, are you the boss of your mind? Or is your mind the boss of you? And the book is about mastering your mind, mastering your life. And Giovanni is the writer. He also does a very popular blog called Live and Dare. It's a blog. And he runs lots of programs. It helps thousands of people like Rob and I to get clarity on personal growth and meditation and kind of in a way, I guess, taking us into a a different world of spirituality, but not kind of how you would traditionally think of it. It's a really good book. I really enjoyed it. I took a lot from it and I really wanted to get Giovanni on here because I think this is something, Robbo, you could take a lot from, mate.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing this.
2: And I think what you'll find with this is that he, I like the word he demystifies <laughs> and simplifies meditation because I think it's got a bad rap.
3: Yeah, probably does. its just, I think it's that whole om, om image, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like the Buddhist monk sitting cross-legged. Speaking of which... <laughs> Just before we start, I might just pour us a little bit. <laughs> that's that's nice. So, without further ado, sorry to keep you waiting, Giovanni. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: I'll say at the outset, I'm, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating show because I want to I want to talk around meditation and ask you some questions that have been floating in my mind for many years now. To put us in the picture, when somebody bumps into Giovanni and says, what do you do? How do you like to reply?
4: I usually say, I'm an author and meditation teacher. And then I stop there and they're usually questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, let's, let's start there. Let me ask you the question. At the start of your book, which I loved, I thought it was beautiful. It mm. says, and the thing I love at the start is because it starts right at the start. What is meditation? And I want to set this up. It says, Meditation was originally created to overcome suffering, find a deeper meaning in life, and connect to a higher reality. Meditation is an exercise for your mind, a type of contemplative practice. What I thought about when I read that is, can I be contemplating and actually meditating without knowing it?
4: Well, there are many types of meditation. And meditation itself is one of several types of contemplative exercises if we want to call it that. Um, usually meditation involves you focusing your attention on a specific way, on a specific object. It could be your breathing. It could be the sensations in your body in the present moment. It could be a mantra. It could be a candle flame. There are many objects that can be used for meditation. Um, A similar exercise, which is not exactly meditation, is what I would call contemplation, which is when you are thinking deeply about things, about yourself, about life, about what you want, about what all this means. So that is a a parallel exercise to meditation.
2: Is that meditating? Because if I'm sitting and contemplating, say, for example, I'm focused on being grateful and I think about a child or I think about my partner, I think about my wellness and I sit there for a period of time and I just focus on that one thing and I deep dive into how grateful I am emotionally and intellectually to have that person or that thing in my life. Is that a form of meditation?
4: I would say that it's a form of contemplation and there are a lot of parallels between contemplation, which is thinking deeply and meditation. Um, And one thing helps the other, for sure. And there are a lot of common benefits, but it's not exactly the same thing.
2: Can you talk me through the practice of meditation? Because you have spoken a few times I've heard you interviewed and I've read the book. And you've talked about how meditation turns our attention inwards and not outwards. How does that work?
4: So if, if you think of our attention as the flashlight of consciousness, So we are conscious beings and we have the capacity to pay attention to one thing or another. But in our day-to-day life, there are a million things competing for our attention. Um, There are people, there are tasks, there is our phone with a never-ending stream of notifications and messages. So it can often feel like we are not in control of our attention. And if we're not in control of our attention, we may feel that we are not in control of our life because we we are not deciding really how, where we're focusing on, right? So meditation, I like to describe it as an exercise for your attention. You learn how to to take hold of your mind, to take hold of your attention, and to apply it deliberately, to apply it consciously um, in a way that you want. And this training, for instance, if you are practicing meditation, focusing on your breathing, which is one of the most common methods, You will say, okay, now for the next 10 minutes, I will place my attention on my breathing. I'll pay attention to my breathing moment after moment, breath after breath. And if thoughts come, I will let them pass and I'll bring my attention back to my breathing. When I notice that I have wandered, I will feel grateful that I noticed that and I'll bring my attention back to my breathing. So that's the exercise. It's a small, you can say that it's a small exercise of willpower also because your mind is going astray and you say, no, 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 I want you to stay here, right? So this exercise of willpower, this exercise of attention happens multiple times every time you meditate, regardless of the method. And so you can see how, how meditation trains some essential Qualities, some essential faculties that we have and can be used in any area of our life.
2: I think that's really profound, Giovanni. I don't know; I've ever heard anybody talk about how simple we can start the process of developing resilience, discipline, and willpower. And you could do it in this moment, right now, couldn't you?
4: In modern society, we need this more than ever, because, as you said, there are people working in companies with multi-million dollar budgets that their role is to learn how to capture our attention as effectively as they can for as long as they can like they are called addiction engineers in in social media companies and other tech companies Um, we're being trained in our modern life to have a scattered attention right so that's why adhd is on the rise and and so much so many mental illnesses are increasing and they're becoming more and more common because we simply are not at home inside our own mind anymore. We don't, we have no control over things. So I would say that people nowadays, they need meditation more than ever. And at the same time, it's probably harder to meditate nowadays than it was a hundred years ago where there was not so many distractions around.
2: The reason it's a really interesting conversation. I'm going to throw it a rubble in a minute. But this is an interesting conversation and I think this is a profound show because your book is called Practical Meditation. And I must admit mm-hmm. when it arrived, Giovanni, I went, another book on meditation. I've read a lot. <laughs> the thing I loved about it, and I will talk about this before we let you go, is that it's practical. However, mm-hmm. it's not just the doing part. I don't know. I just, I just find this, this little couple of minutes that you've shared really, very, very profound. In fact, I think it's gold because Mm. you wonder why so many peak performers, why so many people at the top of their game meditate. And it is now for many people, a non-negotiable ritual in their day. And you hear about stilling the mind and being calm and, and opening up thought patterns and all that sort of stuff. But I've never heard anybody talk about it for developing willpower and the fact, mm. and I also reckon that there's a lot of competitive people <laughs> who will take it on just to win. <laughs> but when you say it's a battle of willpower, suddenly people are going, okay, well, I can't let it win, so game yep. on. And the reason I was going to throw to Robo just for your thoughts, mate, is that with what you do in the studio each day where sound space, noise, detail is so important when you're producing. Meditating sounds like a really important tool for you to find, and we'll get onto how we do it in a second, but for you to take on in the studio, because I know it's an area you've been skirting for a while, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I muck, When we first started doing the show, I mucked around with actual meditation for a while, for a good few months. I don't know why I didn't fall into it as a regular habit but I didn't. But hearing what you say, I mean I I mean I there there are parts of my day especially when I'm working on big jobs that need a lot of creativity, there are parts of my day like around lunchtime when I stop and I will focus on the work I've got to do that afternoon and only think about that and how I'm going to approach it. So I suppose that's meditation, is it, in a way?
4: Yes, it's uh, you You are using the skill of meditation, which is the ability to understand what's happening inside yourself and to place your attention where you want it to be. Right? That's That's an essential skill in life for studies, for work, for performance, for achieving any of your dreams. You need to be able to stick to a goal, stick to a certain type of effort or activity for a prolonged period of time. And, of course, the mind is going to want to jump into the next shiny thing all the time. And this ability to say, no, I want to keep it here. That is very, very valuable.
2: I, I want to ask you about something which I think will build upon what Robo is talking about. And I think em- emptying the mind is the other part that I think would be profound. Mm. what's a mindful moment, Giovanni? How do I create mindful moments through the day? So robo has got this thing coming up in the afternoon and he's thinking through what he's about to do. How yes. would he create a mindful moment to completely clear the mind and go inward where yeah. he acknowledges what he's got to do the afternoon? How, how does that work? What would he do?
4: Yeah, I love that question, Gary, because meditation is not only about what you do seated on a cushion 10 to 20 minutes a day. It is really about taking those skills, those lessons, those abilities and applying it in your life. And one of the best ways to do that is to create what I like to call mini mindfulness moments along the day. So you could choose a trigger. The trigger could be going into the elevator or when you are behind the red light or when you're eating or when you're walking, you create a trigger for yourself and you you make a decision that look, when I'm doing this activity, I'm going to let go of the restlessness in my mind for a while and I'm just gonna pay attention to the present moment. It can be to your sensations in the present moment, it can be to the environment around you, it can be to the flow of breathing. Even if you just decide to pay attention to your breathing informally throughout the day, And you do that a few times during the day, you will notice the difference. Even just watching your breath for one minute, how your breathing pattern was before you started watching it and how it was after. And when you start having that taste, when you start seeing the difference it makes, the simple practice, then you want to do it more and more.
2: You just mentioned some people have a restless mind. Mm. Do I have to completely... Calm my mind to meditate? Because there are people who have very active minds, active imaginations, Mm -hmm. constantly running pictures through their mind, conversations, and so on. Is it essential? Is it an essential part that if I'm meditating well, I have to calm my mind?
4: Well, calming the mind is, it's in a way a requirement for meditation, but more than anything, it's an effect of meditation. Um, So it's a little bit like asking, do I have to be healthy and slim to go to the gym. No, you don't. Going to the gym will help you get those things. So I really like to, to emphasize that meditation is for everybody. For, for those people that really have a restless mind, they need it even more. And it's all about having the right attitude towards the practice. Otherwise, you will feel disappointed, you will feel frustrated, and you will give up thinking meditation is not for me. And this right attitude is understanding that I'm not fighting with the mind, okay, because you can never win that battle. I am simply practicing, placing my attention on an object, be it on the breathing. I want to stay with the breathing. I want to stay with my mantra. I want to stay with the object that I'm working with. Or I just want to step back and observe what's happening inside of me. That's also a type of meditation and then you accept whatever comes you accept your experience in meditation as it comes and this is this is already a more a more peaceful a more welcoming attitude towards yourself and the more you have that the more you actually be able to experience that stillness and that that pleasure of meditation and the stilling of the mind the emptying of the mind as you said it's not the goal of meditation. It's not something that you, you sit, okay, I'm going to steal my mind now and there will be no thoughts arising. Now that's a recipe for disaster. But <laughs> as you practice meditation, <laughs> as you are engaged with it, um, it naturally happens. P- putting in other words, it's not about emptying the mind of thoughts, it's about filling the mind with your object of meditation. And if moment after moment, all you're thinking about is your breath, then guess what? You're not thinking about all the other problems. Have we mm. lost touch with stillness, Giovanni? I feel that in the past, we had stillness more present in our life than we have today. Mm. For all the reasons that we mentioned, um, technology, the fast-paced lifestyle, we had more contact with nature then. So yeah, I would say that People nowadays are more restless than before.
2: Do you get entrepreneurs and hustlers say to you, if I meditate, I'll lose my edge. Like I'm going to chill out too much. Like I need to, I need to keep driving. I need to, I'm like Gary Vaynerchuk. I got to keep hustling. I got to keep doing, I got to keep nailing <laughs> this job. Do, do you get that, that feedback where it's like, hey man, I might lose my edge?
4: Well, the people that come to me, they already have the understanding that meditation is something that will empower them uh, rather than slow them down. But I do understand where that thought comes from. Perhaps in the beginning, uh, people that were doing meditation in the West, they were um, only, how do, how do I put this? They were more hippie style, right? They are more kind of slow and easygoing. <laughs> so, so yeah, so if that is the image we have of meditation in our mind, and then if you're like, look, if I become like that, there's no way I can perform. Uh, I don't want that. But meditation is not about that. Like I can give you a thousand examples of uh, meditation masters and monks that they were really, really active people and um, with highly developed mental faculties and high level of energy. And I myself, I am not the mellow type of person. I have a lot of energy and I'm very active. So meditation hasn't made me less active. It has sometimes though made me feel like I don't want to do anything, like I just want to kind of relax and enjoy the sense of contentment and peace that is coming in right now. But those moments, they they are beautiful and they are there to be cherished. And of course, when you are in that moment, you like you are on top of the world, there's nothing that you feel you need to do. Like everything is perfect here and now. But other than that, meditation hasn't stopped me from achieving anything I wanted in my life. On the contrary.
2: Does meditation help us with bad habits, Giovanni? For example, someone has a sweet tooth or somebody smokes or somebody has an attribute sense. that is something that they would like to change. Is many mindful moments meditation, is there something in there that can help those people or us to yes. change those bad habits?
4: Well. Two of the main things that are trained in meditation are self-awareness and willpower, the ability to get some control over your mind. Mm. And for anyone struggling to change a habit, you need those two things. They are the foundation for your transformation. Self-awareness will allow you to understand what's happening in your body and mind the moment that you are triggered to go to that object, to to that uh, habit. So if you are struggling with uh, quitting smoking, for instance, and you start practicing meditation and developing those qualities, you will notice that a lot of the times when you feel that urge to smoke, you are in a state of stress. Like you are, your body and your mind are not happy. So you default to go into the to, to smoke to relieve that. Or you may notice that you are in a state of boredom And you just want some new stimulation, right? So becoming aware of your triggers is the first step for you to be able to change any habit. Because if you're not aware of it, if you Um. only notice after it has already happened, then there's not much you can do about it, right?
2: Over the years, we've done five seasons, Giovanni, and one topic which has been very popular with the audience is when we talk about the imposter syndrome or the negative voices or mm-hmm. our internal dialogue which takes us to dark places. And you've said that you you call yours the inner bully and you've had your own battles with the inner bully. How does yes. how does meditation help us with the imposter syndrome and Giovanni's inner bully?
4: So meditation is not going to be the only tool that you need to work with that. You need meditation but you also need to contemplate. And we go back to that topic of contemplation. You need to think and reflect and understand, like, why am I doing that? Is it, why do I have these thoughts? Are they even true? And even if they are somewhat true, are they helpful in any way? Right, so you need, to, you need to work on reflecting on your thought patterns and, and changing your mindsets, at the same time practicing meditation. Meditation will give you the power to actually change your thoughts because in meditation you're practicing to bring your attention away from where you don't want it to be and back into where you want it to be. So if you have realized that you keep second guessing yourself or self-doubt comes up a lot, then as you develop more your abilities to meditate, you will catch that thought as soon as it comes. And you'll be able to see like, "Huh, here's the voice of self-doubt again. Here's the the uh, inner critic coming up again. You will notice it as quickly as it arises, And then you will have the ability to do the same thing that you do hundreds of times in your meditation, which is to say, okay, I'm going to let this thought pass and I'm going to instead focus on this other thought. And so that mechanics, the, the ability to do that comes from meditation. And then you can replace your negative thinking with a thought that you know to be more true or more helpful. That's the, that's the way. If I build upon
2: that, Giovanni, I heard you mm. say that you describe yourself as fearless. Now, for a lot of people, that's a big call. Mm. Why Why does Giovanni, why do you feel fearless?
4: I think uh, with a lot of years of personal development and meditation and even my own spiritual practice, I have noticed that the suffering that comes from fear is often bigger than the suffering that would happen if the feared thing happens. So even like from a very pragmatic point of view, um, it's better. I mean, most types of fear, we're we're talking about psychological fear. We're not talking about real survival fear, like you're walking in a jungle and, there's a, a snake or a tiger or something. You know, that fear, please, you keep that. That's going to keep you alive. <laughs> That's a good fear. <laughs> yeah, that, that bit, keep that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, that, those types of fear, they don't bother us. We, we rarely experience them, right? Unless we live in the wild. <laughs> we rarely experience them. The fears that really um, block our life, that really uh, hold us back, are the psychological fears and the fear of rejection, The fear of failure, fear of disappointing others, fear of loss, fear of the unknown. And so coming back to the question, how come I was able to, how come I'm able to say that I'm fearless? It's because I saw that that fear is a mental state and it's a mental state that doesn't bring me anything I need. And it's a mental state that wants to protect me from a danger that in most cases is not real. And then I'm able to let go of that.
0: I'm going
2: to share a little story that builds upon and brings a few things together here, Giovanni, because I live in the country on a farm. And when you say we have things which could scare us like a snake or a tiger, we have tiger snakes. And they are very dangerous. And I remember my first ever time on the farm one afternoon, I was going down to our vegetable patch Uh, which of course gets sprinkled. So it's got water in it, which attracts the snakes. It was my first confrontation with a tiger snake. And I remember my inner dialogue, and I won't say exactly what I said, but my (laughs) inner dialogue was in that moment, I went, this moment is either going to define me or I am going to define the moment, Patrick Swayze, Roadhouse. And I remember remember that conversation very, very well. And I went, this is the moment you've been waiting for. You have to confront this or you're going to live with this forever. And what it leads me to is something you talk about is becoming a witness. And it sounds like my little story, but you will do it much more justice, is that when we have those dialogues and we have those moments, is it... Is that what you mean by becoming a witness and almost stepping away from yourself to witness your thinking and your attitude?
4: Yeah. So there was a lot of things going on in that story. Not only you were witnessing,
3: <laughs> and I'm still here, so we did good. I noticed you didn't finish it though. Yeah. <laughs> snakes are yeah. snakes are protected, Darren. Uh, was it was it tiger <laughs> snake tiger snake stew for dinner that night or not, Garrett? <laughs> So who won the battle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what I want to
2: know. <laughs> uh let's just say that
3: uh the moment did not define me, I defined the moment. <laughs> Good. Well done, well done. Now we've got that. Now we've got past that. Let's well, hear from Giovanni.
2: <laughs> but it's interesting though, Robert, because I've, you know, five or six times a season I have to confront that. But I because I still remember that moment and I it just goes back to reinforce what Giovanni's saying in terms of fearlessness, but I think it can also happen when we are confronted with things that we can have a degree of control over. Now, I'm not talking a tiger or a lion or, you know, a UFC cage fighter, but I'm talking about, you know, some things, but I'm just curious as to, I remember, I remember the dialogue. Am I becoming a witness? And does that tie into your much better story than mine? <laughs>
4: Okay, I'm going to come back to the, to the topic of being a witness, but I just want to talk a little bit more about fear. Um, I just remember that when I was a teenager, I started meditating when I was 14, actually. Um, and when I was a teenager and I was dealing with some fears, I had this idea of going through a mental exercise of contemplation in which I think, okay, let's imagine that everything I fear comes to happen right? And in its maximum uh, intensity. Okay. So I say, okay, I'm going to go to meditation and I'll do that exercise. So after a few minutes of meditation, when I have reached my place of stillness and awareness, then I brought those thoughts. I brought those fears to play into my mind and in my body and in my heart. And I noticed that even when they are at their highest intensity, I was still able to kind of let them go and, and access that state of stillness, that state of inner peace. And I, I realized that, look, even if all of these bad things happened, there is something that nobody can take away from me. You don't discover that something after a week of meditation. It takes time. It takes practice, but it's worth it.
2: Tell me about being a witness. Is that... Is that stepping away from yourself and witnessing what's going on inside you at the time? Is that what you mean?
4: Yeah, so witnessing is one of my favorite topics because for most people, when I talk about it, it's really an eye-opener. Most of us, we, we have this identification with our thoughts. We never question them. We believe that we are our thoughts and our thoughts are true. And even if they are not true, they are our thoughts. What can we do about them? Most people I talk to, they have this attitude towards their thoughts. But one thing that you will realize, not only learn, but actually realize through meditation is that you are different than your thoughts. You are the witness of your thoughts. So it's like you are the cinema screen and your thoughts are the images projected on the cinema screen. The cinema screen was there before the thoughts arise. It is there while the thoughts is there, and it will continue to be there after the thoughts go. So this cinema screen is ourselves, our consciousness. Our consciousness simply witnesses everything. But if we get attached to the thoughts, to the images, memories, and feelings, then we suddenly become one with it and we forget who we are, and it's as if... That thought and that feeling and that memory is our whole world, and that's a state of imprisonment that's uh, there's not much you can do from there, but once you notice once you have learned that you are the witness and you notice that you got caught into a rabbit hole, then you can step back and say look i am I'm watching all this, I'm aware of all of this. I was here before this problem came, and I'll be here after this problem goes." So there's immediately this greater space that can allow the problem, the intense emotion, the difficult memories to come up, to play with whatever they have to play and then to disappear. But you become larger than that. So if before those negative thoughts were like throwing uh, a bucket of salt in a small pond, now they are like throwing a bucket of salt into the ocean. That's, that's the difference.
2: I wonder whether, if we continue that metaphor, I wonder whether today's access to media has made that screen more 3D, more accessible, more important, in more vivid colour, that as we are able to project that screen to not only our own mind, but project that screen for others to see in order to to impress them with how good our life is. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether that is a metaphor is showing why we have such a hard time working out who we are as opposed to what we are projecting onto the cinema screen.
4: Well, so from a personal point of view, within your own cinema screen, there are the thoughts that come from your mind. And they are the thoughts that come from other people, from the social media, from the, the news, from your family, from society. Everyone has their own view of things and they have their own thoughts about you and about what you should be doing and about what life is really like. They have their worldviews and we get exposed to all of that. And we take some of that in. And once we take that in, then there's a pattern that is going to keep showing up in our own cinema screens. So that's why we need the ability to to witness, to observe our mind, to know what's happening and to know, like, do I want to feed this thought pattern, this way of seeing things or do I want to just let it go? And the more we feed the thought, the more the thought becomes stronger in us, the more we ignore and not pay attention to something, little by little it withers away, it dies away.
2: Meditation need to be done daily to gain value. Is it something that we could do two days a week, three days a week and still get value from? Or is it like compounding interest where it has to be done day after day?
4: Well, if you just meditate once or twice a week, you will still experience some benefit. Um, like whenever you sit to meditate, after the meditation, your body and your mind will be calmer, right? You will feel better in some way or another. But if you really want the benefits that meditation can bring you, um, you really need to practice every day because every day your mind is going crazy. Right? Our mind is chaotic every single day, so we need that, that exercise, we need that activity to be there every single day as well. Otherwise, there's no chance we'll be able to, to, to manage it.
3: I'd like to extend on that just quickly. Um, being an audio engineer, I work with voiceover artists and voices daily. Listening to you speak, one thing or two things that have struck me is that your voice is very relaxed. And, and the other thing that really strikes me is there's a definite rhythm to the way you speak. I'm wondering, is that something that you've done intentionally to keep that calm across the day? Because it is very calming to listen to, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure your brain's in a very relaxed state to do that in the first place. Or, or is that something that's just come because of meditation?
4: I think there's a little bit of both. Um... When I hear myself, when I hear some recordings of me three years ago, mm. I sound different. Mm. So something happened specifically on this past three years with my meditation and my practice in general that has affected the way I speak. I have noticed that. Mm. And so that is one side of the story. And the other side of the story is that I have consciously put some attention into making my speak, my speech more... Mm, more calm and thoughtful because as I said before, I'm a very energetic person. Okay. So my way of speaking was very energetic before, like uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit too much excited. So it took also a little bit of awareness and consciously changing that habit. And I, I feel that changing that also changed my mind. So there there's both ways. I believe in working from both sides of the of the problem always. You do the internal work and then you do the external changes that you need to do, and one thing is going to help the other.
2: In your book, you run through, gee, I don't know, 15 or 20 different ways or means to meditate. Yes. And what I want to ask you about, Giovanni, is – One of them is sitting and listening. Now, there are times when I will be out in the paddock working. I'll stop work, sit on a stump, and uh, not for a long time, but maybe five minutes, I will just listen intently for as many sounds as I can hear from as far away. Mm -hmm. And I actually saw one of the means or ways to meditate in your book was exactly that, which I didn't know, that you could sit and listen. Is there a difference between a meditative state and meditation or are they the same? What do you mean by meditative state? Well, because I feel when you sit there and just listen or you sit there and just focus on something, as we said earlier in the show, I feel as though you become into a, meditative state where you just Mm -hmm. kind of contemplate and you start to just zone out or zone into specific sounds of birds and noises and trees and crickets, whatever. Yes. But to me that was just, you know, a kind of a state you're in. However, Mm -hmm. in the book you actually talk about the fact that when you sit and concentrate on sound and or sounds... That actually is a, is a form of meditating. And I'm just wondering whether they are one of the same thing or whether there is a way to do it that makes it more into a state of
4: meditation. So there are many different methods to meditate. And in each of those methods, there is the practice itself, which is the effort that you're doing. Um, and then there's the state that happens as a result of that effort. And they are very close. So the more you are able to keep up doing that effort, the more you will experience that state. So in this, in the case of this meditation, well, the effort is to put all your attention in the sense of hearing. Mm. So your eyes may be open, you may be still seeing things. Actually, you may be still looking at things, but you're not seeing them because all your attention is in hearing. And the more you'll be able to zoom your attention in just hearing, the more everything else will turn off for you. Your thoughts, your uh, sensation of sitting on the bench, everything else will kind of disappear from your consciousness. And it's as if you are just two floating ears. Like you, you are aware of everything around you in terms of sounds. And that is an exercise of meditation. And just that simple exercise already brings some um, meditative state, which is that state of being completely focused on something that is happening in the present moment with, this, with a mind that is calm, collected, centered and being emptied of everything else. So I think what you, what you had there was both the, the exercise of meditation and the meditative state itself.
2: See, I I did enjoy that about the book was that I think people think that it's finding yourself a cushion, shaving your head, putting on some orange robes and sitting there (laughs) cross-legged. Is that where I went wrong? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You look, and when you did that, you did look like the Buddha. Um, however, what I loved about it was there's different ways and I want to dig into that just for a couple of minutes with you and ask you some questions to get you to describe this because that, that's, so that's one version of it. We've mm-hmm. talked about the sitting and we've talked about those things so far. However, there is also a process called and i hope i pronounce this correctly kinhin which is the walking mm-hmm. meditation how would i do that efficiently effectively or properly
4: so while most practices of meditation are done with the body still there are some meditations that you do with the body moving in a very slow and conscious manner and there are many types of walking meditation kinhin being one of them and it's the way that they do walking meditation in in the zen practice Um, if you want to do that particular practice, well, well, there are some details to it and you can check the book for that. But the general idea is that you are walking very, very slowly and you're paying attention to every step and you're paying attention to your breathing at every step of the way. So your attention, your awareness is fully engaged in the present moment with the stepping and the breathing. So it's it's just like a seated meditation with the difference that you're moving your legs.
2: Am I watching my feet? Am I watching what's around me? Where am, where am I focused with my eyes? So I get the the listening part, the breathing mm. part. I get that. What what would I, if I was doing a walking kin-hin and I was doing it mm-hmm. in order to gain benefit, let's just say, not say correctly, but to gain the most benefit, what would I be looking at?
4: You would keep your eyes still, just landing on the space uh, a bit ahead of your feet. Yeah, yeah. So you're not watching anything in particular. You're just leaving the eyes open.
3: I'd also add to that, Gary, after your previous story, you'd probably be looking out for tiger snakes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, that...
2: Actually, I, I should leave this alone because I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble here. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> let's. I, I think this is great. You know, and I think we are debunking a lot of myths that sit with this topic. And I, I, I really... I th- I think this is terrific Giovanni because you're really solving a lot of queries I've had in my own mind. You mm-hmm. studied with a Zen master, which I thought was absolutely so cool. What's <laughs> what's true mindfulness and vip- asana, vipassana vipassana?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Is that a form of meditation?
4: So vipassana is one of the forms of Buddhist meditation. Yeah, you can say that it's perhaps the main form of Buddhist meditation. And mindfulness is as we know it, as your listeners will, will think about it, mindfulness is a practice that has been adapted from uh, Vipassana. All right, so Vipassana is a practice that the Buddha created 2,600 years ago. And Buddhism spread throughout many countries and there were many different lineages. So nowadays there are also many different ways of practicing Vipassana. Uh, the most famous one is uh, perhaps the one of Goenka you see there are um, 10 days Vipassana retreats in the Blue Mountains by the group, yep. by the Goenka group. So, so that is that is Vipassana. And mindfulness basically came out of the modern Vipassana movement and they stripped away all the Buddhist elements and they just kept the exercise of attention uh, on the breathing, on sensations and on your thoughts and feelings. This is so good. Um <laughs>
2: Oh, what's zazen then? What's what, describe that for me?
4: Okay, so zazen is the practice of meditation in Zen Buddhism. So as you can already have the feeling for just just listening to this conversation, there has been many different traditions of meditation, hmm. many different wisdom traditions, as as they are called, and each of them developed several different methods because people are different. People have different needs, people have different problems that they want to solve with meditation. So naturally different methods arise, arose. And Zazen is the method created by the Zen Buddhists. And again, there are are more than one way of practicing Zazen, but usually it means sitting in a very specific posture that is like the Buddha set. Uh, And posture is very important in Zazen because it's the support for your mind to be present and still. All right, so there's a very specific posture and you, you can learn more on the book or on the web. And then the three de- different ways of practicing Zazen Zen either you would focus on your breathing and just notice the sensations of breathing. That could be your breath moving your belly or your chest or the sensation of the breath coming in and out through your nostrils. So you pay attention to that. And as a help for beginners, you can count your breaths so that your mind is more engaged with the process. So let's say you breathe in and out and you count 10 in your mind. Then you breathe in, out, 9. In, out, 8. And you go all the way to 1 and then start again from 10. And if you get lost, you start again from 10. So that would be a way a beginner might have been uh, mm. introduced to the practice of Zazen. Mm. Another way of practicing Zazen, which is uh, very unique to the, dren- to the Zen tradition, it is basically to sit without any specific focus of attention. So you're not focusing on anything, but you're not distracted either. It's like you, you simply are. You just sit. You allow everything to come up all the thoughts, memories, sensations. Whatever comes up is allowed to come up. But you're not paying attention to anything. You're not resisting anything. You're not following anything. You are just there witnessing. It's gold.
3: Yeah. I hope this isn't a silly question because it's certainly not meant to be. But the practices you're describing, if someone's having trouble sleeping at night, does that, sort of thing work there as well? Because it seems to me that it's very relaxing and we're clearing our mind. Surely that's that's got to aid with sleep as well.
4: Well, one of the main problems I hear from beginner meditators is that they are trying to meditate and they fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that probably so... answers the question then. <laughs> <laughs> I think for people that actually want to use meditation as a means to to achieve better sleep, that's, that's really good news. Uh, having said that, there are practices there are certain meditation techniques that are specifically or that are more beneficial for falling asleep. And Yoga Nidra, which is one of the ones in the book, it's uh, really good for that.
2: I'm very conscious at the time, so I'll let you go on a second, Giovanni. You've spoken before about the starting point. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you a couple of times say the absolute starting point. So I think this book is appropriate for anybody who does not meditate yet who'd like to start or is intrigued by it right through to people who are into it, who'd like to continue their growth and find different ways to dig deep into this. But you've said that if we are novices and we want to get started, two minutes a day is a good starting point. Is there real
4: benefit in that? In my beginner's meditation course that I've run for thousands of people, uh, I start exactly with that, two to three minutes of conscious breathing every day. And some people will notice some benefit immediately. They'll say like, wow, just sitting and breathing like this for two or three minutes, I already feel like a different person. Uh, some people won't feel any benefit. Because, but even if that's the case, it's all right, because that is just the initial step. That's just the beginning. And what I recommend is start with whatever um, length of practice you're comfortable with. If it's two minutes, then be two minutes. If it's five minutes, then five minutes. And every week you add one minute to the practice until you arrive at, let's say, 20 minutes or whatever you want to arrive at. Like this, you're growing so slowly, so organically that it never, it's never a drag to do the practice. Like you're always able to do it. It's not a stretch to your motivation. And however wonderful anything can be, however wonderful any practice can be, unless you do it on a regular basis, you're not going to have benefits. So it's really really important to understand how motivation works and to start your meditation practice in a way that you will continue it. You are not having too many expectations in the beginning. You're not in a hurry. You're not going to become a Zen master after a month. (laughs) And uh, you are just starting something that will bring you a lot of benefits in your life if you continue it. So if you start with two minutes, you have no excuse to skip. However busy your day was, however tired you are, there's no reason to skip two minutes. You can do it. And even if you are meditating for a while already, you're meditating for two years and you're doing 20 minutes every day, but one day you are really, really busy and you want to skip, well then just sit the two minutes. Have that unbroken chain. Every single day. And you, you be there for your practice. If
2: you can't afford two minutes, you probably need two hours.
4: <laughs> I think it's a Zen <laughs> saying, uh, everyone should, med- should meditate 20 minutes. Unless you're really busy, then you should meditate more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's the impact of meditation on intuition? Because intuition is a topic I've been fascinated by for 20 years having done – I did a session with a lady in America and she told me about intuition. I went to the end of it and I said, what's the science behind this? She said, well, you just got to trust it. <laughs> and I've sort of <laughs> just played <laughs> with it ever since. Is there, a, is there an impact that meditation, all we're talking about here in the program, mm. do you think that
4: has a benefit on our intuition because it's a powerful tool? Yeah, so – Intuition is an interesting topic and your audience may be a little bit divided on this, but maybe part of your audience is um, fully skeptic and rationalistic and they feel like, okay, what we call intuition is simply our brain uh, piecing together some information and bringing the, the, um, that idea, that information without us being able to tell where it came from. You know, that's all intuition is. But some other people have experienced and from the way you speak, I think you have um, flashes of intuition that cannot be explained like that. It's just—it's a piece of information that suddenly gets downloaded into our brain. Uh, we don't know how or why, and it's really accurate. And when it happens, we kind of know, like, look, this is uh, this is true. I don't know why or uh, why I don't know how, but this is true. So if we're talking about intuition. I think, I think meditation can help with both of these uh, definitions of intuition. What I have found in my own practice and talking to a number of meditators is that as your mind gets more and more quiet, as the noise diminishes, your ability to have these flashes of intuition becomes much, much higher. And sometimes it happens during meditation I remember many times in my life where I, was, um, where I needed an idea on how to solve a specific problem or I needed a creative seed for me to, to work on something. And during meditation, the following morning, it just comes, like fully formed in my mind. Huh? this is it. Yeah. Right? But sometimes it happens because of meditation, but not during the practice. Just as you're going about your day. Uh, you may notice that because of a regular meditation practice, your mind is more open, more calm. And as a result, there's more chances for you to, to have that intuition. How How has it happened for you in your life, this flash of intuition?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's both. I think yeah. it's... I, and, but I think it, it's funny because this lady said to trust it and I know there are times when I've been doing something and I haven't known what to do next but I will say by the time I walk to the back of the room to the table, something will come and invariably if you trust it, something happens or I'm not sure what I, I need to write an article for my blog and I need it, you know, this afternoon. I've no idea what I'm going to write but I just trust that something will come. And then there's other times where I think it is putting all bits of information together and it just makes sense. Um I don't know. I I don't know any science behind it. I trust it. Uh, that's what Leslie said. She said you need to trust your intuition and the more you trust it, the better at it you get. I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but I um I think the way you've explained it, I would have to agree with, and that's only a- anecdotal research of one, me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I think that if you are, well, seemingly from all you've said through the show so far, that if you are more in touch with yourself, you – Pull yourself away from the cinema screen to who you are, and you clear your thoughts. You bring your attention inward, and you get to understand how you operate more. Then surely, yes, that would lean itself to what we've talked about working better. So, I um, just and- one last question, Giovanni, and I got to say, I am so pleased I read this book. I, I honestly <laughs> i I thought another book on meditation. Do we need it? I, from the minute you started, I loved the way you laid it out. And I think this show has just been a a wonderful representation of a smidgen of what's in it. What occurred to me when I was getting ready for this is thinking if it's called practical meditation, does that mean there are a lot of books and stuff out there that's not practical? Well,
4: there are many books on meditation that will give you a lot of theory, um, a lot of teachings and while I find them very valuable and many people may find them very valuable, sometimes people are a bit confused on how to start the practice, right? Many books may just say, uh, yeah, meditate 20 minutes or meditate 40 minutes and do it like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that sounds practical, but not really, not for most people because they, they aren't able to do that. They aren't able to start meditating every day for 20 or 40 minutes, Um, and even you, you show them the technique and they don't understand. So in my own journey, I have struggled a lot to bridge the gap between where I was and where these books, um, were talking to. So, and because I bridged that gap multiple times in many traditions with many different teachings, masters and techniques, I kind of realized like, look, these are the points that are missing and most people are struggling with. And if we can cover them in a way that it's clear and easy to digest, then more people can benefit from meditation. And if we don't, then even if people are excited about it, they're actually not going to do it.
2: Where where do people get it, Giovanni? Because I, I think it's a wonderful, valuable tool for anybody who has any inkling that this might be beneficial for them. Where would you send people to find a copy of Practical Meditation, a simple step-by-step guide?
4: Well, they can find it in in the bookstores, Dmox, Kunya, they can find it on Amazon, Amazon. Um, if they want more information about the book, they can go to practicalmeditationbook.com um, and see the companion courses, etc. But it's it's an easy book to find. They should be able to find it in their local bookstore.
2: And we'll put a link to your website into the show notes. I've just got one final question for you. If you look at most meditation scripts, books, blogs demonstrations. People are sitting there cross-legged on a cushion in a pose with their eyes closed. Yet I've heard you say that there is power in using your eye. So can I meditate with my eyes open? And what is the process that you think is valuable when you say the power of using your eye?
4: That's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned those images because some of those images, they, they look so fake and (sighs) it's, (laughs) it's very obvious, like the person, (laughs) the person just sat in that image to take a photo and, uh, they have no experience of meditation because when I look at an image of someone that is an experienced meditator, even though their eyes are closed, I can see it on their face that they are in a state of meditation. And it looks very different from those magazine pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um. Uh, So, so that's the first thing I'll say. Uh, Now you touch an interesting topic, which is eyes open or eyes closed. And most meditation techniques will be with eyes closed, Uh, because when you close your eyes, your brain is already more likely to produce the alpha waves, which are the waves that happen, uh, the, the relaxation ones. Um, but there are some meditation techniques that use open eye.
1: Mm.
4: And Zazen, which you mentioned, is one of them. Um, mean Zazen? <laughs> Zazen. <laughs> Maybe it's your style of Zazen. It's all right. New by Let's say that. Zazen the Aussie way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the idea of open eye, um, the meditation practices that ask you to keep your eye open, they, they also ask you to keep your eyes still. And the eye and the brain, there's an interesting connection there. When our mind is very restless, our eyes are restless as well. right? When our mind is still, our eyes are also still. There are even some therapeutic modalities, uh, if the name, I think it's EMDR, that use the movement of the eyes to cure trauma that is deep-seated in the brain. So the eyes, if you think about it scientifically, the eyes are actually part of the brain. They are the most complex organ in our system apart from the brain. And what the yogis found out is that not only our mind affects the movements of our eyes, but our eyes also affect our mind, right? So they realized that if you keep your eyes still, gazing at a point ahead of you, then your mind little by little becomes still. Just like if you still your breath, if, if you deliberately make your breathing be deep, slow, and even, your mind and your nervous system will come down. The same thing with, the, with your eyes. If you can gaze at a point ahead of you, and that may be an object, it may be a dot that you have glued on the wall, it may be a candle flame, whatever that will bring stillness to your mind. And I've experienced with many types of meditation, over 80 types of meditation. And I can tell you that from my experience, in terms of concentration, if if the benefit you're seeking is concentration, there's nothing more powerful than the open eye gazing meditation practice, which is called Tratak. T-R-A-T-A-K-A. Oh, I mean,
2: it's just been great. I feel, like, I feel like we've made a mate doing this show. I mean, honestly, Giovanni, you've got such a beautiful nature. You're so thoughtful. You're so calming. You're so damn smart. It's, um, it's just been great, mate. Thank you so much. It's been, uh, this has been a real pleasure.
4: Thank you, Gary and Robo. It has been, has been a real pleasure indeed to be talking to you.
1: This is Tate Fletcher, cage Fighter. This is a Mojo Radio Show,
3: where I'll be coming to see you. All right, well, after that, I think I'm re-inspired to uh, give meditation another crack then. Did you hear when Giovanni said you can actually do this in two minutes? Yeah. Yeah, it's not something you think in terms of meditation, is it? You think it take two minutes just to get yourself set up. <laughs> what I was thinking about for you as an audio mm. engineer,
2: and I think, you know, we've always tried for five seasons, we, we look to speak to guests to take out actionable, practical tools that we can apply to our world to make us just feel better, to get our mojo working in and mm. out of work. And one thing that I liked about his book, Practical Meditation, and one thing we did bring up on the show, which I thought specifically if you was an audio engineer, is that you can meditate using sound. To sit there and listen to sounds around you, a track, normal sounds of the, the bush or the ocean or even, com- even the white noise in a coffee shop. Is actually a form of meditation, so I I can't think of any reasons why you wouldn't give this a red hot two minute. Yeah, go. look, I
3: mean, this is funny. You know, the more I the more I think about it, the more I probably do sort of meditate, but I guess in my own way. I mean, my favourite little spot in the house is out on the front veranda. We live on a nice quiet street, and we've actually got a massive spare block next door, so. The front veranda of our place is, is really quiet and I love on a Sunday morning I'll go out there with a cup of coffee and just sit for 10 minutes while the chaos of two kids and, or four kids, if the boys are here, and the house ensues inside, just sit quietly and watch the world go by. So I suppose that probably gets close to meditation. Yeah, close. So close out song. I think it's been a while since we've had a bit of melon camp, isn't it? Yeah. What have you been thinking about? Have you come up with a cracker? Well, I, it's a thought. A thought. Okay. There's no point thinking about
2: meditation, how to do it, why to do it, where to do it if you don't make the time. So if there is one action, which is the French for action, Mm -hmm. out the back of this show is look at your day today and or plan ahead for tomorrow and save at least two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes if you are bold enough, but save some time to try exactly what Giovanni talked about. So this is John Mellencamp and Save Some Time. We're out.
0: Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoRadioShow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurkwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production. Check out voodoo sound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com.